0: Welcome everyone to the Sports Injury Central Podcast. I'm Thomas Casale with pro football doc, David Chow. Doc, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. It's a
1: lot of variety going on out there in the sports world, from football news to basketball, NBA to college basketball, and now baseball stuff, right? And and even wrestling news, right? I mean, uh, we're here to talk about injuries in all
0: sports, and uh, I'm sure you'll quiz me and guide us through a nice podcast here. Yep, and uh, as Doc mentioned, you can go to 6 for all the injury analysis of every sport and every main athlete, major athlete, as we'll get into in a little bit here, Doc. We go outside of the major sports sometimes, and you can follow us on Twitter, at ProFootballDoc, and subscribe to all our videos right here on YouTube. So, Doc, let's jump right into baseball. It's kind of the news of the day, the big story. Fernando Tatis, apparently he has uh, suffered a fractured wrist in the offseason. He's out multiple months according to you. So get into this, what's going on with Tatis and how long can the Padres expect to be without their star?
1: Yeah, we've, we've put out a piece at Sports Injury Central and there's video, but let me try and explain it to you this way. In some ways, you know, it makes sense. It most likely was a result of his December 8th motorcycle accident. And a scaphoid fracture, it is typical and not at all unusual for initial x-rays to be normal. And a patient or an athlete to think, oh, I just sprained my wrist, no big deal. Now his mom did post an Instagram picture in a thumb spica splint where it covered the thumb and, and down to the wrist here um, for, on January 4th. And then apparently Tatis, as he's getting ready to go for the season, starts noticing your wrist more didn't seek any other attention in the Dominican Republic, could not legally contact the team doctors, the team athletic trainer, or anyone from the team, and showed up at in Peoria and had a physical, and they get an x-ray, and they see this scaphoid fracture. The scaphoid bone is a bone that doesn't have a lot of blood supply, and therefore sometimes it's very hard to heal. So this sequence actually make some sense, that he was fooled into a wrist sprain, and here we go. Now the bad news is, A.J. Preller's admitted it's a scaphoid fracture, and he said up to three months. I probably would say at least three months. Three months is the absolute best case scenario, and that's three months from surgery. Remember the injury is already three and a half months old, which means it's at least what in medicine we call a delayed union or an early non-union. Either the healing is slow or it's not happening. And because of that, early word today was surgery was an option, but he hadn't decided on it yet. We'll talk about a shoulder not deciding on surgery later. But what that means is you need a screw and or pins and likely bone graft. This is not a fresh scaphoid injury. Um, Alex Caruso with the Bulls had a scaphoid injury that was acute, non-displaced, put a screw in. And we said at Sports Injury Central, six weeks, he can be back. The difference is that was an acute one with some blood flow bleeding. Tatis is three and a half months not healing and still sore so his now needs to have bone graft I think it's a four to six month recovery timeline if I were with the Padres and I'm not and you told me well you know he'll be back right at the all-star break I would say take it because it could be longer than that the season starts April 7th the all-star break is later in July I mean he's gonna miss a good three maybe four months here of baseball. And there's almost a month before the season starts. But this is why this is a big deal. Look, I'm rooting for Tatis, I've said it before on this podcast, he's my son's favorite player. But this is really, this is no bueno, not good news. Uh, He's gonna miss over under at least half of the season, if not more, and uh, with the surgery. If he doesn't have surgery, he's gonna miss more than that, in, in my opinion. So the news is not good for the uh,
0: Padres at all. Yeah, no, it's not good at all. And uh, it's been uh, recently, Doc, kind of like one thing after another with Tatis. Would you consider him injury prone at this point? Well, as you know, Thomas, I don't love the idea of injury prone, but this
1: is what I tweeted and what I said. And this is not to denigrate Tatis at all. If anything, it's a compliment in some ways. I don't believe at all that Tatis is injury-prone because injury-prone means someone that just can't help it, i.e. there's something structurally wrong, someone with who's inflexible, who keeps getting hamstring strains, preventable injuries. That To me, that's the definition of injury-prone. I do not believe Tatis is injury-prone. I do believe that he's prone to injury. Now, what what do I mean by that? He plays baseball in a very... Free, open, reckless makes it sound negative, but the guy's the matrix, right? He contorts his bodies in different ways and dives and runs into walls and has a wild swing and he plays free and loose. And that makes him more prone to injury. Look, wide receivers that go across the middle more often are more prone to injury as as opposed to ones that get down. That doesn't make them injury prone, it makes them more prone to injury. In addition to the way he plays on the field, I think as an indestructible 23-year-old, his lifestyle contributes to it. It's just the way that he lives. When he was asked earlier today, what was the date of the motorcycle accident? He replied, quote, which one? I mean, he. I think he's indestructible or he thinks he is, right? And Uh, Maybe not to that extent, but I think we all thought we were a little indestructible when we were in our early 20s. And Tatis, this great athlete who can do everything and has had success at every level of his life, might feel that way. But the motorcycle doesn't feel that way. And finally, I think we think he's injury prone because he had five shoulder dislocations last year. But it's really the same injury. So it's really his choice not to have surgery and just rehab that gives him recurrent injury and makes him prone to injury. But I think that's different than injury prone. I mean, the fact that he had five shoulder dislocations and it was the same injury, he's injury prone because his labrum is torn, uh, or is prone to injury, I mean, because his labrum is torn. It's not like he had five different shoulder injuries. It was the same thing. So I make a big distinction between injury prone and prone to injury. If someone said to me, is Tatis prone to injury? Yes, the way he plays, the way he lives, and the fact that his shoulder is not fixed he's prone to injury. Yes, but is he injury prone as in there's something wrong with him where his body is weak and this that the other? I don't believe that.
0: All right, well, it's a big blow for the for the Padres, you know. They weren't one of the favorites in the NL West to begin with. That's the Dodgers and the Giants. But you know what this could do is help give those teams uh, more some easier games when you have when you face the Padres, you know, without their stars. So we'll have to see how far back they are by the time he he returns. But according to Doc, it doesn't sound like we can expect that. And, and by soon. the way,
1: I've gotten a lot of people ask me, well, why doesn't he just have the surgery at the, the shoulder surgery at the same time as the wrist the scaphoid? Well, he could, but if he has shoulder shoulder surgery now, he's done for the season. That's a okay. six-month recovery time. Yeah. That's why he wouldn't do it now. But you know, you, you're the betting expert, and I, I don't not, but you know, uh, we said already on the Sports Injury Central site because he didn't get his shoulder fixed last year, he missed 25 games. Expect him to miss 25 to 30 games this year because of his yeah. shoulder, and that's uh, you know uh, hampers his MVP odds. Now his MVP odds should be astronomical. I mean, yeah.
0: I know nobody cared about baseball 2 months ago cuz football was going on and you know that's just the way the uh, people's minds work but we actually wrote something a while back way before this that said you know expect him to miss some time and now he's going to miss even more time so so whatever uh,
1: RBI totals run totals whatever it is i mean you know you can count on him missing at least half
0: the season okay doc let's move on to something that we don't normally cover and that's the WWE. I know you worked in the WWE, so you have some insight on that. But it's just that it's, it's more entertainment than sport. But there was a, a real big injury recently to their uh, massive star, Big E, who's beyond a wrestler. He's he's in all kinds of stuff now. I watch wrestling. I did as a kid. My kids watch it. So we, we saw what happened. I mean... Very rarely does something happen in wrestling where three people jump out of their seats. I mean, that was a mistake of a monumental proportions. He fell right on top of his head. It looked bad. It was bad. carted off on a stretcher. So, Doc, you looked at this. What is the short-term and long-term prognosis for Big E, in your opinion?
1: Look, we'll talk about that, and, and maybe we'll get into some WWE stories and other things of my time working with him. But the one injury I don't like more than even a concussion, is an axial load injury, and especially if the head is flexed down. And the way Big E went down, the the failed belly-to-belly suplex, overhead suplex, look, there's something that was off with the timing of what it was, and I'm not trying to blame Ridge or Big E or whatever, but obviously he's not supposed to land on the crown of his head. Big E, I think, is really, 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 really lucky. Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that he had two fractures in his neck makes him really lucky. And let me explain that. The chain usually breaks at one place, not two places. And what that happened that one part of the bicycle chain or wherever it is, breaks in two with a lot of force. Here, there's two parts that broke, C1 and C6. So maybe the C6 presumed compression fracture took away a little bit of the force on the C1. So one is at the top and one is a ring in the neck. And I think we can say it now, I even hesitate to say it, but C1 fractures are the one that cause immediate death and or paralysis. A displaced C1 fracture, so the assumption Big E's is not displaced. A displaced C1 fracture is associated with death. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but he's doing fine right now, right? He's been on Twitter and Instagram and what have you in his hard collar. It seems to be a non-displaced fracture, no surgery, that's good. And he's lucky that he had a fracture at a different level to take away some of that. That's why I say, boy, and C1 fractures don't always heal completely. Sometimes they heal with what's called a fibrous union right? Sometimes there's a ligament damage as well. The bottom line is you cannot risk paralysis or death. And this is why we say, who knows? I mean, it might be the end of Big E's career. Now, are there ways for him to be involved in wrestling and not risk landing on his neck and other things? Sure. Right. I mean, but doing uh, a suplex move, that's out of the question. Uh, There's no way that you can do that. So could he take on different roles within WWE? Yeah, I'm sure. But to do all the things he used to do, I think nobody wants that risk. Nobody wants to see that. No doctor wants to clear that. Vince McMahon does not want that. I mean, imagine the tragedy of this. Look, on national TV, this was WWE SmackDown. Fox's big primetime thing. And we all know they get better ratings than the NBA. The NBA doesn't get on primetime on a major network. And they Fox puts them on every Friday. It happened. It was a tag team match. They moved the camera to the rest of the tag team, and you didn't see anything anymore. And he was stretchered off kind of thing. Boy, I don't even want to think about if it was really bad, right? I mean, this whole all of us would be in shock. So it might be the better thing. And I'm not wishing Big E negative thoughts. I'm just saying better safe than sorry when it comes to this type of neck injury is all. And I'm sure he and his doctors and WWE will consider it all. And we'll see, look, I haven't looked at x-rays. I'm going off for reports, but the C1 fracture is something to fear. And, uh, you know, uh, good luck, and, and right now he's got it. Uh, and, uh, you know, count your blessings and, and it may be time to move on. But let me tell you something, Thomas, about WWE. And uh, I won't name any names, but even as we had an internal discussion here, There's a lot of people that say WWE is fake. And I worked with WWE and I could tell you some stories here. Here's what they say, and I believe this too. It's scripted, not fake. And the injuries are certainly real. WWE is real, what they do. Okay, they break through some chairs that may, you know, be a little bit different, this, that, the other, but the flips, the athletics, you know, think about Rey Mysterio and top rope and this suplex move. It's a lot of force. It requires a lot of choreography. It requires a lot of training. And both wrestlers need to know what the next one is doing and coordinate. That's how you do stunts safely. These are stuntmen and the stunts are real in terms of what they're doing. Of course, the storylines are scripted, right? And, and we know that. But let me ask you this, Thomas. For, and I know you're a WWE fan, okay? So I actually covered WWE some. I've also covered X Games some. I've also worked with the Olympics some. Would you say in the recent Olympics, a lot of people say WWE is not a sport, okay? Yeah, it's not a sport from the idea that it's not true competition, but they're very athletic in what they do. Would you call Sean White in the half pipe at the Olympics. Is that a sport? Well, it's not a mono a mono competition. It is absolutely scripted because Sean White knows he's doing a 720 and a 540 fake e grab and whatever on each run as he goes down. Yet it's a fantastic athletic feat, which to me makes it a sport. So there's no question the WWE guys are athletic. There's no question what they do is real. But it is scripted, right? And that's where it gets uh, some negative stuff. I'll tell you one story once. I won't say who the wrestler was. I showed up at an event that I was covering. This is before they had doctors, regular doctors that travel with them all around the world. And I actually introduced one of the doctors to that role. I was just covering them whenever they came to Southern California kind of stuff. walked in and the athletic trainer says to me, and I won't mention names of wrestlers or people says to me, Oh, doc, uh, you you're in the script today. I'm like, what? Oh yeah. It's a TV. It's a low, it's a TV show and you're in the script. And let me tell you what these guys do. They go four days a week and they have dark, uh, shows where there's no TV and then they have their weekly TV show. So this is not the one time they do, uh, routine. They do it four times throughout the week before the TV show. And he says to me, you're in the script today. I was like, oh, okay. Well, what does that mean? He goes, don't worry about it. So-and-so is going to get cut and uh, you'll just come in and, you know, help clean him up and it'll be fine. I said, okay. So I'm like, so this is like a ketchup packet. Oh, no, no, it's his blood. So a guy gets hit over the head and literally in his glove, he's got a razor one edge razor that's taped so we only get cut so deep and then he cuts his forehead and he starts bleeding and uh they come over to me and i'm like cleaning up the blood and, the, and they're telling me don't mess with the color smear it around a little bit don't actually clean it up it's you know over tv they cut away and whatever no big deal and i'm like oh do i need to glue that so that he goes no we we'll just glue that well he goes but you can look at it and it was bleeding a lot And as I talked to the wrestler, he says, yeah, they take aspirin all week to make sure that he bleeds. And he's got three other cuts on his forehead because this was the Tuesday show, Wednesday show, Thursday show. And this was the Friday TV show where he cut himself again. So these guys are unbelievable what they put themselves through. And uh, the athletic feats that they accomplish are real and dangerous because it is fantastic. But yes, it's scripted. So I do have respect for WWE wrestlers, but yes, it is scripted. But the injuries are real.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So um, yeah, we'll have to see. There's been other wrestlers with neck injuries who, I mean, Edge is one who took 10 years off and ended up coming back and he wrestles not. So we'll have to see how this goes. Uh, All wrestlers, it's a personal choice for all of them. Uh, We'll see how this progresses over the next few months. Um, Doc, shifting gears again. Let's go to the NBA. You know we cover everything. the The Kyrie Irving thing is is, is kind of odd. It's let just. I mean, listen. I live in New York, and there's no there's no person on earth who's less political than I am. Okay, I don't care what people do to be honest with you but I mean we went to a lacrosse game recently and they said bring your vaccination cards and everything and uh, nobody was checking anything we just walked right into the stadium and so I think one of the things that bothers people like me who aren't on one side or the other is just inconsistencies and weird things like what's going on with Kyrie Irving. I mean, he can't play, but he can sit there and watch the game. I, 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 Most people are with me on here, Doc. It doesn't make any sense. What's your take on it? Well, let me try and make some sense out of it, but I don't know that I can
1: completely. Uh, and uh, Adrian Wojnowski, I believe, uh, tweeted out that the Nets are going to be fined $50,000 by the NBA because they allowed Kyrie to go into the locker room. And apparently the rule in New York is that you can't work and enter the workplace if you're not vaccinated, you know, if in certain businesses and whatever. And that's where uh, it is. You can go watch a basketball game, but if this is your workplace, you can't work. And that's why Kyrie is not allowed to. But here's what I would say. First of all, in terms of disease transmission, the lowest risk is on the basketball court because you're running, moving, and you're not always next to someone. The highest risk is sitting next to someone throughout a whole game. And it might be the row in front of Kyrie if he's breathing on them for an entire game. That's the highest risk. Locker room, you know, depends on how long he was in there, the ventilation and who he's next to, might be middling risk, right? And so they allow him the highest risk they've, don't allow him the lowest risk and they find him for the middling risk. But so that he can enter the locker room, he cannot enter the locker room because that's his place of work. Well, isn't the arena the place of his work too, but he could enter that. I mean, it's just, you're right. It's not consistent and I'm not taking political sides either, but uh, I think it does not, it's not consistent in terms of, you know, to, People outside, uh, and I would agree. Uh, It's hard to make sense of why they allow what they allow. It's just the way the rules have been written currently in New York.
0: Yeah, and um, that's uh, I believe that's New York City too is uh, is where those rules are. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, things are different all over. I think it's interesting though because even people I follow on Twitter who were who were once against Kyrie have gone, this has gone so far now that they're actually like, all right, that's enough. And let me point out something in California. And
1: and, and look, I'm not trying to bag on politicians. New York City was hit pretty hard by COVID. So maybe that's the reaction. In California right now, uh, you do not have to have masks indoors. But if you're a medical in any way, shape or form, you're still required to have masks indoors. I do orthopedics from healthy people. They walk in or crutch in. They're they're not it's I don't work at a nursing home. I don't work at an acute care facility. People aren't sick there. It's no different than going in and buying a pair of shoes, I suppose, you know, in terms of like the health of the people that are there overall. Yet in theory, we are supposed to require masks and require masks cuz we're medical and all of medical gets lumped in. To that I get nursing homes, I get acute care facilities having masks. And look, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not protesting the mask stuff. But there are some inconsistencies. Uh, that that is uh, that is all.
0: All right. Well, we'll see where this goes. Uh, you know, as usual, we'll follow everything on Sports Sports Injury Central Six com. So, Doc, a lot of what we're doing now is. Uh, NFL free agency stuff The guys have done a tremendous job uh, Breaking down the free agents The injuries they've had What to expect this season So a couple signings I want to get your thoughts on Uh, One becomes even bigger now With the Cowboys Uh, Michael Gallup, the receiver That they're bringing back uh, Lost Amari Cooper So it's going to be C.D. Lamb Gallup's going to be the number two What can we expect early season Coming off the injury How's he going to look?
1: Look, you know, the Cowboys are going to have to do something, I believe. I don't see Michael Gallup being ready at the start of the season. He just had his surgery in February. I mean, uh, look at Odell Beckham last year. He didn't make it for week one, and his surgery was in late October, right? I mean, I don't see Michael Gallup starting the season, and even if he does, he's no way, shape, or form ready to be 100%. Now, the Cowboys obviously have confidence in how he's doing to give him a five-year, whatever million-dollar deal that he got, a healthy deal. And there still is CeeDee Lamb, but there's no Amari Cooper, and they're going to have to get someone else to fill in for the early part of the season. Uh, All this shows is the Cowboys are still confident in Michael Gallup ultimately being healthy, but early season, I don't see how he will be healthy and productive. But I'm sure the Cowboys have a plan for that.
0: We just don't know what it is yet. Well, I'm sure they don't. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but there is something else happened, Doc, because you're saying he's not going to be ready for early in the season. Something a little bit under the radar happened today that I think we should touch on. The Cowboys lost Cedric Wilson to the Dolphins. Now, he was their jack of all trade guys who, you know, if this guy's hurt, he plays here. So, he's not a, you know, he's not a number 1 or number 2 receiver, but he's a valuable depth guy that they used quite a bit. So, not only did they lose Cooper, they lost their fourth receiver. So now they're down to C.D. Lamb and uh, another receiver that you're telling me isn't going to be quite 100% in September. So this might offer some early betting value uh, with the Cowboys. I'm going to have to take a look at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll analyze it. You know, what does it mean for C.D. Lamb? What does it mean overall? But also, you know, at tight end, right? I mean, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. they're they're short at tight end. Blake Jarwin and we'll cover it when fully the news breaks but i'm starting to get the feeling that blake jarwin's uh uh hip issue is a lot deeper than has been let on and uh will yeah i agree i I agree and uh and you know that their their other tight end they got to make sure they sign or or do something with so there's some maneuvers for for jerry to, to take care of here and uh you know, right now, I think they, they have a hole in their re- pass-catching core uh, that they still need to to uh, plug some holes,
0: especially Michael Gallup, long-term, I think, will be fine. But first half of the season, no. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that was just a position of strength, and now it looks like they might be entering the season as a, a little bit of an unknown, depending on what they do here in free agency in the draft. Uh, Doc, another player that is coming off an injury, uh, Quadre Diggs the one of the few people that the Seahawks are actually keeping. So, you know, I know you got some thoughts on his injury and how he's going to perform early on in the season. Yeah, you know, full disclosure, I'm a little bit jaded here. I
1: did hear a little bit. Quandre Diggs' older brother is Quentin Jammer, a friend of mine. And uh, obviously the Seahawks have good confidence in Diggs and his ankle fracture dislocation, right? You know, it's a similar injury to what Dak Prescott had, and Dak seemed fine with his ankle. Of course, there was the calf and there was, you know, the, the, the latissimus and, and some other issues this year. But this shows good confidence from the Seahawks that he's progressing very well from his injury and he's on pace to be ready to go for the start of the season. So
0: that certainly was good to hear and kudos and congrats to Quandre Diggs and the Seahawks. All right, Doc. So before we go, there's one last player I want to talk about because we have an article up on uh, sixscore.com right now. Will uh, Tariq Cohen ever return to pre-injury form? Now, this is a running back who's a scat back. He, you know, he bases a lot of his stuff on quickness, on movement. What are your thoughts on that? Because uh, he he's one of those guys. He's not gonna, you know, he's not an every-down back, but he's a, he could be a valuable contributor to an offense. What are your thoughts on Cohen moving forward? His speed, quickness,
1: escapability is what got him in the NFL. It's not his power running or his size. And so if he loses a quarter step, that's not good. He's had a couple of scopes after the ACL. And I believe he was released now with an injury designation. So he's, what, almost 18 months from his ACL or whatever it is. I forget the math. And he's still released injured at this point in time. That's not a good sign for an undersized running back that relies on quickness. And so that's something to worry about. And then we've got other things to worry about. I'm not so, I know we heard some optimism from Raheem Mostert, but, you know, when you have an osteochondral injury and an osteochondral transplant surgery, uh, that starts to be a downhill spiral. I don't see how Raheem Mostert gets signed by anyone else other than the 49ers, re-signed by the 49ers because of the old maid theory, right? If someone else signs Mostert, they're gonna own his knee in long-term injuries where the 49ers already own it, so they don't take the liability side. They can throw a little money at him and, and get a free look. So I don't see Monster getting much uh, because of his uh, cartilage damage, articular cartilage damage. And another 49er, Jimmy G. I mean, look, initially the team said, no big deal, nothing to see here, it's just the capsule, and he's ready to throw ahead of J- July 1. He had a surgery now and we've always been saying even from during the playoffs that we were worried about a rotator cuff injury not saying full thickness rotator cuff tear and you know and we said not it's not just his thumb when he fell on his elbow and jammed his shoulder he had a significant rotator cuff injury and we backed it up with all sorts of stats in season and now it comes out he's having the surgery they haven't admitted to the rotator cuff yet but i believe there was involvement there And after the surgery, the announcement comes, oh, he should be ready to throw right at the start of training camp. So now it's already been pushed back a month. And let me tell you, I don't see how Jimmy G can be traded for anything of real value until uh, the team physicians for the team that's trading for him get a solid look at what his shoulder is or isn't. Now, do they need to wait all the way till they see him throw at the start of training camp? I'm not saying that. But he just had the surgery days ago. Uh, that's that's going to hold up Jimmy G's trade. I mean, this is his, this is the moneymaker. This is the throwing shoulder. Uh, I don't see how he can get traded right now unless there's some sort of you know low value trade or some sort of very creative how many snaps he takes, you know, we, you get him a, a for a fifth round pick if he doesn't play X, and if he does, it escalates. You're going to have to be very creative on this one because of the shoulder.
0: Yeah, well, that's going to be interesting because he's one of the big names where people are trying to figure out where he's going to go. And you know, the. it's interesting because the Steelers just signed uh, Mitchell Trubisky. So maybe they were in on Jimmy G until the injury stuff and decided to go another route. So we'll have to see how that all works out at the end.
1: And, and look, uh, Tom's back with Tampa right now, but maybe if they move Jimmy G, Tom can get his dream and play for his hometown team for the final season. Who knows? I mean, right? I mean, uh,
0: lots of things are unpredictable. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting offseason. We'll have all the information leading up to the NFL draft, uh, player-free agency, everything NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and as we showed you to- today, uh, at WWE, it doesn't matter. If it's an injury, we're all over it. It's sixscore.com. Follow us on Twitter, at ProFootballDoc, and make sure to subscribe all- to all our videos here on YouTube. Doc, another great podcast. See you next week. Absolutely. don't forget, we're going to be coming out with a bunch of March Madness stuff the next few
1: days and the next couple of weeks as well. Hopefully the injuries are minimal, but we'll have a bunch of it and we'll
0: be there to cover that as well. Yep. And in-game stuff too. Anything happens in-game during March Madness, we'll be all over it. All right. For Tom Casale, Dr. David Chow, that's it.